Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we take a small step outside of Charlotte. Um, Although the founder that we interview has roots back in Charlotte um, on several different levels. Um, But then we have a two-part or two-person interview. We've got founder of core, I guess, co-founder and president of Core 10, Lee Farabaugh, on the podcast. She is joined by Joe Maxwell, who is a founder of Fintop Capital. Core 10 is, as you'll learn, a very unique software um, style company. Um, They're a leading US-based provider of API integration and SaaS implementation services. They focus in on the FinTech and financial services space. Um, They take a different spin on it though, um, which I thought was a great model to talk about in today's world. Um, they've got a hundred percent U.S. based or a hundred percent U.S. based development team um, located in smaller what they what you'll learn they call Hearshore communities, uh, which would include places like Huntington, West Virginia, and Martin, Tennessee, where they hire developers and technology folks in these smaller communities are able to pay them at community rates that are attractive. Um, it's not like these folks are living in Charlotte, New York City, or San Francisco. So they're, the cost to have these folks on their team is lower than it would be elsewhere um, and makes it somewhat competitive, especially when you talk about some of the challenges that can um, happen when you hire an offshore team. So it's an interesting spin on um, a way of bringing talent back to the U.S., um, they, uh, uh, Lee and her team at Core 10 have worked uh, with a couple companies here in Charlotte. That's how they have a current direct tie there where they've been the, um, the back-end software developers for those companies. Um, Fintop's been a, an investor in other, uh, other companies, specifically DealCloud here in Charlotte. And so just a really nice, interesting conversation where we back, bounce back and forth between investor and founder um, and how the topic came about and how fast they can get grow, where they can take this business, et cetera, et cetera. So great podcast today on the Charlotte Angel Connection and certainly hope you enjoy this one and stick around um, for another great edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection next week as well. Thanks so much. All right, Lee and Joe. Um, welcome to uh, welcome to today's podcast, our iteration here, our, our Charlotte Angel Connection podcast. So thanks so much for joining us from from literally afar. Most of my video conference or video web podcast recently have been with local folks, but y'all are truly having to dial in from afar. So welcome to today's show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So really excited about digging in. I think Lee's got a um, a really great business model. Um, and Joe being an investor in that, I'm sure is probably going to agree with me, um, probably 99 times out of a hundred. Um, so as I told you earlier, I like to get started off, um, just with a little bit of a soft intro. So if, if each one of you, Lee, if you want to kick it off, if you can just give us a couple minute intro to who you are and how you got to where you are. And then Joe, I'll let you follow up after Lee. 
Sure. Well, I'm almost a native Charlottean. Um, grew up there from age three to when I went uh, to school, uh, also in North Carolina for college. And um, my entire career has been in software development services, uh, lots of different areas of that. I've been in healthcare IT. I've been a practitioner in user experience, UX, UI design, um, but currently uh, co-founder and president of Core10. And we are uh, exclusively focused on fintech and financial services. Um, and we have a unique model, which we'll talk about more, but um, the company was really founded to understand and figure out how to do high quality software development work here in the U.S. and keep it from costing a fortune. So that was our um, big hairy problem we set out to solve. And I'm sure through the course of today, we'll talk about how we solved it. And just real quick clarification, when did you start Core 10 again? We started in 2016. Okay, so we're a four-year-old company. That's right. Give or take. Yeah. So, um, Joe, um, quick intro if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Joe Maxwell. Uh, currently, I'm the managing partner of a uh, fintech-focused venture capital firm called FinTop Capital, and FinTop stands for Financial Technology Operating Partners. We're all former operators. Uh, I was an entrepreneur 28 years in FinTech before FinTech was coined a cool name. I was just a guy that couldn't get a job in financial services. So uh, I had to work on the, on the services side because nobody would hire me to actually put a suit on and get in front of customers. I'm native of West Virginia, so most of my buddies that I grew up with live in Charlotte because that's where the jobs are. Um, so I've been, been in Nashville for, uh, since 94. I uh, built my first business, um, 95 to 2007. Uh, sold that in 2007. Built another one, always in financial technology, reporting and analytics, both for in capital markets for private and public. Uh, had a really good ride. Um, had a lot of operating experience was the timing was perfect to come out. I'd done a lot of angel investing through my deals. I uh, had put a lot of deals together and, and really enjoyed it. Like to find really nice fin B2B FinTech companies that were capital efficient, tend to invest off the patch, not really a Silicon Valley, New York investor kind of <laughs> uh, flyover FinTech as we call it. And uh, I'm allowed to say it cause I'm from West Virginia. I'm a big fan of Silicon Holler. So uh, I can I can go to places where where others you know they say they'll go but they don't show up and they don't there's not a lot of bunch of people with a uh, an abundance of capital uh, Charlotte's a good market Charlotte's got a lot of good fintech from all of the the banking core infrastructure and the legacy there um, Raleigh I'm in North Carolina a lot we do a lot of deals throughout the Midwest and Southeast um, so so Core Ten is one of our investments in Fund One we have two funds. Uh, we're investing out of fund two right now. So we have about 21 portfolio companies. We've had two exits. One is a Charlotte based deal club, which was an awesome deal we did and an early exit in fund one. Um, so that that's, you know, we have, I have four partners. Um, we, we are investing right now. I mean, we're very active. We've never been more active. Um, then right now there's some great deals and, you know, in times like this is, is, is when the greatest entrepreneurs really, <laughs> really come out. You know, it's, it's when you ever look at recessions or look at downturns in the market and look 20, 30 years later, all the best businesses were started in these times. So it's a little bit of my, my, my background. Yeah, no. So um, 
you invested, so Core 10 started in 2016 and y'all came on board as an investor. When did y'all come on board, Joe? Uh, right after, you, what, Lee, you, we raised, I, I helped them day one just because mm-hmm. I really liked the idea and, 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 and helped them with the original idea. So it was kind of kind of a pet project of mine because in my last company, we were spending so much money on offshore servicing and we weren't saving any money. It was difficult. And, you know, being a native of West Virginia, sitting here going, you know what, nobody cares about these Rust Belt towns that have universities with double digit unemployment and they're smart people, really, really smart. If, if, if with the gig economy and, and, and with the opportunity, hell, if I'm sending it to Russia, or India, why can't I send it to West Virginia? I mean, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, these are hardworking, smart people that just need the chance. And, and, and Lee bought off on it, and we, we, we geared up and went. So actually, the original capital, we raised it in West Virginia, which was yeah. awesome, because that was another thing. Us. What's that? You challenged us with that. You said, yeah. if you can raise money in West Virginia, you can raise money anywhere. And I think you, you kind of wanted to see if we could do it. And we raised... Um, we raised a million dollars in West Virginia, um, half a million from the West Virginia Jobs Investment Trust and the other half from a series of angels. And that was when Joe said to us, okay, you know, you, I've seen what you're, what you're willing to do. And that's when FinTop came in. And I also was sick and tired of watching, you know, watching outsiders come to my state and rob it of its natural resources with no equity yeah. given back. And if you think about it, that's where the name Corten, it's a steal that gets stronger as it rusts, Corten steel. And, and if you think of kind of the parallel, the rust belt and everything coming out. And so, so it's kind of cool, you know, we, we could get impassioned with the idea. And sure enough, uh, we raised the money there. And, you know, as this business grows, it, it warms my heart to know at one day when there's an equity realization that a lot of that capital is gonna stay into the community. Yeah. yeah, early on, it was just this idea of like, we had this hypothesis that um, this, this need really to be able to do development work here in the U.S., not, not because it's political, but because it's frankly just more convenient and, and the quality tends to be higher. And so we thought, okay, but how do we do that without everything costing so much money? And that's when, you know, Joe's been a true partner from the get-go um, and it was about let's find some off the beaten path places. And Joe, we, we explained to Joe, okay, here's what we're looking for. They've got a you know, strong computer science program that they're graduating from. Um, you know, it's got to be a place where the cost of living is low. It needs to be a place where people want to stay. And he said, guys, go to Huntington. This is everything that you're looking for. And so we did. We road tripped it to Huntington. It's about five hours from Nashville. And um, he was right. And, and you know, he grew up there, so he understood the ethos. He understood the humble, smart nature of the, of the people there, the hardworking spirit. Um, you know, the mountain state doesn't make it easy to do pretty much anything. Um, and so people who are there and have persevered and figured stuff out are just, they're cut from a different sort of cloth. So anyway, Joe kind of, he, he shed the light on West Virginia for us to solve our problem. <clears throat> so... Um... Lee, let's take a, a quick couple of steps back. Sure. The, the business model as mm-hmm. it exists today, um, what, um, who are you serving and how are you serving them? Sure. So we serve 
um, our partners, we're, we call ourselves a partner, an integration and implementation partner. And so we work with companies like Plaid and Ellie Mae and some of the big core providers, but we also work with fintech startups. Um, there's one out of the triangle called WalletFi that we've done quite a bit of work with. And we, we do, our, our main areas of focus are API integration, and then building on top of those integrations for application development. And then we do SaaS implementation. So we can be an extension of a SaaS customer service, customer support team. And the, um, the model that, I, that we've been kind of uh, dancing around here is one that we call Hearshore. So it's kind of a play on the idea of offshore or nearshore, but it's here in the US. And the way that we make it work um, fiscally is to take it to places that are not large metros because in those places, the cost of talent is, is very high. Um, and, and up until recently, there's been such a talent shortage. But when you go to some of these more off the beaten path places, um, the, it's sort of the opposite. Most people think, in order to get a, a good paying technology job, I have to leave. And so um, we're able to capitalize on the fact that they want to stay. So, um, so obviously a really cool business model. Um, and even prior to, you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, um, would appear to have lots of runway in the aftermath of it and people look at where they live and they live in a big high tower with 80 floors and there's no such thing as social distancing on an elevator in that way, it becomes even more brilliant, right? Um, I mean, you've got to think that the market, at least the talent, is more easily going to flow straight into a pipeline of what you're trying to build at the current moment. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple trends. There's macro trends in our favor, especially in fintech, to get more of our fintech proprietary infrastructure onshore. Um, clearly an issue. I mean, you know, if, if you look at fintech and what's really spurring a lot of the growth, I mean, this is a massive market we're in. You know, a lot of the large core providers, a lot of the large financial institutions, banks, brokerages, insurance companies, they've put their weapons down. They're not trying to build tech any longer or they're trying to maintain what they have. So they're going to the outside market, which has created this massive growth for leasing and buying outside technology. With that, you've also got this coupled workforce that we're, as you said, I mean, we saw the gig economy. I saw it happening before COVID where people were like starting to look at quality of life. I mean, you can move back. I say a lot of my buddies I grew up with. We talk about it all the time. We all had to leave and go to these big cities and, and live in the complexes and the high rises. And, you know, we kind of miss home sometimes. And a lot of people don't want to leave and they go to Charlotte because they have to get jobs, but they want to go back to West Virginia and be around family and work there and build a, because the quality of life there is, is, is second to none. Uh, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. So that was, you're right. I mean, the timing is absolutely perfect for us. And, and we really believe we can build so many of these here shore centers in the next five to 10 years um, in these towns. Uh, we have found that, that it's got to have a university and there's so many land grant universities uh, that, that aren't the primary, that are this tier two, tier three, and in these wonderful towns that, that people want to live in. But the, the programs are strong. I mean, we're, we've talked a lot about West Virginia, 
um, with Marshall University. We're also in Western Tennessee in a town called Martin. And that's where University of Tennessee Martin is. And the grads coming out of both of these programs are top notch. I mean, they're, they're teaching um, the modern technology stack that we need for them to hit the ground running the day that they graduate. Um, and then we've been very fortunate. We've had longer in West Virginia. We've been able to build out our pipeline through the community college system there, very strong um, community college called Mount West that's near Huntington. And then we've worked with a uh, nonprofit and with Mount West to create a boot camp um, that's modeled after a boot camp here in Nashville that's very successful. So, you know, we've, we're being able to meet people where they are. Not everybody can, can get a four-year degree. Not everybody wants to get a four-year degree or some people have a four-year degree in something else and they want to make a shift and they've got the aptitude to do software development. So that's been really cool to see. So Lisa, um, kind of go back a little bit further and we won't put years into place here, but speaking of four-year degree and something else, um, your, your four-year degree was not in, um, it was not in business management or finance or computer science. Um, you went to Wake Forest and, and, you know, studied something else. I mean, um, I know I studied fine arts, which, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I had studied business. I mean, this is a fantastic business school at Wake Forest. And I think, why did I waste, not waste, but why did I spend four years you know, in a pursuit um, that, that maybe isn't what the school is known for, even though um, I had a fantastic experience in that department and learned a lot of wonderful things. Um, but I, I like to say I know my business, uh, my business knowledge came from the School of Hard Knocks, um, but yeah. I did um, get a master's degree in, uh, it's called Human Computer Interaction, and it's part of the computer science curriculum at Georgia Tech. So that was really where I, I had always, I had always loved computers. And when I was in undergrad, um, graphic design was what I thought I would do when I graduated, but that was not an academic discipline that was, that was taught there. So um, HCI kind of gave me a way to marry my love of design with my desire to solve problems technically. Um, and so that's kind of my road to where I am today is very meandering, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's kind of where the, the two passions came together. Well, oftentimes the best roads aren't straight roads, right? Um, right. Uh, um, so <clears throat> you're in, um, you're in Martin, Tennessee and you're up in West Virginia, one location or two locations in West Virginia? Just one today, but you know, Joe mentioned our desire to expand and build out additional Hearshore centers and West Virginia, certainly that state has supported us in countless ways. And so um, we have targets in West Virginia for, for additional Hearshore centers. And we like, we like Eastern Kentucky, we like Southern Ohio, we kind of foresee, you know, this little network, you know, imagine you had like six Hearshore centers and a cool van that you could like work on and ship people from location to location and create this little vibe. I mean, we're going to do it. It's going to be, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really neat to see the employment base every time they get on the phone, they think they're going to lose their jobs because that's just the, the, the culture and the nature. And we've had to get them over it to where now they're feeling secure and feeling confident. And I'll be honest, they're just, they're really good. They, once they're trained and up to be, they're so loyal. Um, they're so appreciative 
Um, they've got such a great work ethic. It just, it just fires me up every time I go visit. So, um, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, you, you go into these places where there's not a lot of hope, you establish a training and then hope and then be confidence. Um, I mean, it's a business model that has to get the, you know, you, your employees have to love you um, and your economic development people. Um, does your phone ring all the time with economic development people in these small towns asking you to set up something there? Or, um, it, it, it's a good point because we've made it kind of, we've been very strategic to partner with the universities and make it their idea because we need buy-in and it's not their idea. We need their support. And Lee has just done a fantastic job of kind of being the community builder and the community leader. Because one thing about these small towns and I'm from one, and if you come in like a snake oil salesman, they're going to, they're going to lock you away. They're not going to trust you. You're from the outside. So you've got to get the locals to buy in and make it part of that and have an organic. So we're not a spray and pray kind of philosophy we want to go build relationships locally first and have them get real buy-in and kind of build it slowly because if you if you kind of show up like the preacher with the tent you know they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be a little a little suspect right and they want to see us reinvesting in the community and that's what's been I think so critical to our success there I have a funny story. The first time my phone rang with a 202 area code, I thought 202, I don't know anybody in that area code and I let it go to voicemail. Well, it was United States Senator Joe Manchin <laughs> from yeah. West Virginia. And just, that's one of the things I love about that state is that the, um, you know, it's 1.8 million people in the state and to get connected to the influencers is it doesn't take very long and and they're just incredible people and so the second time it rang with a 202 i picked it up <laughs> and, and i told them that the, the cool thing about these states they got really short ladders yeah it's not take <laughs> long to get connected and 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 i think like, lee short ladders short ladders let's be just remember that yeah that's, that's right that's a good point so where yeah but I mean, what the business model over the course of the next 10 years, and I know it's hard because it's private equity venture capital owned. And so thinking in 10 or 20 years, but it's still a business that'll go on forever, no matter how long I think it'll go on forever. Um, right now you're partnering with companies in Raleigh and Atlanta and um, Silicon Valley and other places is the concept will it naturally evolve to the place where you're building kind of sort of little mini technology startup hubs in some of these towns or do you not think it'll get to that point? Let, let, let me run with that one real quickly, if you don't mind. I, I think that's a natural byproduct. I think you're going to have, it's not our intention, but if we yeah. can get in there early and roll up our sleeves and make that initial exploratory investment to build the community, I think a decade from now, you're going to have a natural extension of these centers to have a little startup community because we welcome it. We, Lee has done such a good job. We, we go in, we take a couple hundred year old building that's just gorgeous and we Googleize it. We open up the ceiling, we make it so cool. And then we go to the local 
high school coding communities and the gaming club in those little towns and we open up our place. We let them host their events there. They can do their, their meetings there. And so we create this culture of inclusiveness and openness and transparency because we want to breed that. And then as a result, you're going to end up as, as a result down the road, you're going to have some of these people come up with ideas and they're going to start to gestate little acceleration and incubation centers. And the good news is these universities are all raising a lot of capital to do the same thing. And we want, you, you can't, you can't have competitive, you got to be 100% aligned with these university programs. So uh, the Brad school, the Brad Smith school of business at Marshall university, Brad's the chairman and the CEO of Intuit. So he's a FinTech guy and he's given the largest gift, to Marshall University, and he has built a huge accelerator and incubator there, and he runs a Shark Tank thing a couple years ago, and every time he's on stage, he mentions Core 10 because we're working together, and Brad's a friend of mine, a close personal friend, and Leah's become a friend of Brad's and was just on a podcast with Brad, what, a month ago with my partner, Jim McKelvey, who founded Square, and, you know, we take Jim McKelvey to Huntington, who found Square, and then Jim, Lee had Jim on a a zoom cast for the entire core 10 employee base last week. And these guys are freaking out. They're like, Oh my gosh, we're getting to ask every single tech question to one of the tech, you know, one of the gurus right now. So we're trying to bring and expose as much as we can, but that's going to be the actual result. It's, it's, it's an intended result. We hope it builds an ecosystem long-term because technology communities is, is, is a matter of physics. You know, you need the energy and more energy breeds, you know, it, it, it is, it's, I've seen these ecosystems build. I would be so passionate to see these ecosystems build. So that, that's kind of my, my two cents on that. Well, I'll just add, yeah. So, you know, what Joe said is true. We want, we always want our, our office to be a community hub. And I think that's one thing that this um, global pandemic may gift us. You know, we've all, we've had um, two days a week work from home, now everybody's working from home 100%. We have this beautiful office that's, that's sitting relatively empty. But we've always had to balance security with our clients' data and our, you know, our team's equipment with the ability to bring the, the community in. But as we reimagine what our space looks like and how it functions, I think that um, that community hub space will become more and more critical because people want to see each other. They want a place that they can come meet and share ideas and collaborate. Um, not just our employees, but the whole community. And then, you know, the, the working from home, um, it, it works pretty darn well for our team. So um, I think that's just going to be a way we can expand uh, our reach into the community. You know, one of the things I was talking to somebody about early on in this pandemic was the fact that, um, you know, financial institutions with, um, with, uh, with their technology overseas um, were very likely to try to figure out a way to get them back. Yeah. Um, in a, Absolutely. In a period of a, a month that they possibly could, and it's impossible to figure out. I mean, um, is, is that something, I mean, you're taking those phone calls already, I take it, right, Lee? Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the situations and, you know, just people taking their laptops home in developing countries and it, do they even have internet? Do they have electricity all day? It's, it's. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. They don't. 
And so, you know, we provide a really nice alternative to that. And, um, you know, one thing I think that sometimes people do is they compare apples to what they think are apples. They say, oh, the hourly rate for somebody, even in a Hearshore Center, is more than I'm paying in India or China or Belarus. And yes, that's true. But when you look at the entire cost of ownership over a project and you think about how much easier it is to physically be with the team here in the US, how much uh, security infrastructure is just already in place, how much convenience it is for your internal team to work with somebody who's on the same time zone or just an hour away, the cost per hour of, of a Hearshore team starts to go down and down and down and down because there's so many hidden costs with offshoring that people just don't think of when they're comparing hourly rate to hourly rate. So, you know, in this time we've seen customers come to us because they've been forced to reduce their headcount and they need projects completed and they don't want to commit to full time and they want to bring in a team like ours that can do a project and then hop out or they've had a team of overseas and they're just not comfortable anymore with that and they want to look at you know, what is it like to use a Hearshore team to solve those same problems? So, yeah, we've heard a lot of that. Yeah, we're, we're building to a long-term contractual retained model to where we want to host, you know, we want to make sure we have a stable of a lot of clients that they can flex up and flex down when needed. We, the one thing that we have a keen insight and, and a lot of the customers of Corten are customers, are, are portfolio companies and, and, you know, I have the benefit, my partners and I have been on the boards of these companies, and we see when we hit these flurry of activity where we need, we need to flex up very quickly. And, and if we could have a staff of trained folks at Core 10 that understand our systems and can staff up and flex up to meet the demands, and then flex down while staying as a baseline of retained, and we can balance the clients, it becomes the perfect model for us to scale this business and we, we actually see where we could have different Hearshore centers that have different expertise. You could, you could have a Hearshore center that was bank lending tech, CRM, where another one could be insure tech, you know, where we could have these centers of excellence because it is amazing when you get trained, info, trained folks that speak systems and can be fluent and compliant on multiple applications and it scales really nicely. I mean, you've got insurance companies that are using a different set of antiquated models and banks using a different set of antiquated models. And so having centers where people understand how antiquated a vertical is versus another vertical um, would be super helpful, right? Yeah. Shoot. And there's so, a lot of similarities. You know, banking and insurance both use core systems. Um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of similarities across them, but I think, you know, you're right. There's specific nuances to those antiquated systems. That's where, Joe, that's where Joe's point of getting a bus or, and Joe, if you're going to get a, if you're going to get an RV, my recommendation is to buy it now because you won't have it delivered for 18 months. <laughs> um, but to, to rotate those people through the verticals. So you're getting cross um, cross pollination of concepts, ideas and stuff like that. So they can kind of learn and grow through each other would make it all that more um, you know, powerful as as naturally these things continue to continue to converge over the course of the next five or 10 years. Absolutely. You, you've captured the vision there. That's exactly, and you're not mundane. You're, you're, you're cross pollinating really, really bright people. I mean, you would be amazed at the talent that we have trained and the production and the intelligence and, and 
the clients just love it because they feel good about it too. You're going to, you know, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I'm from the state that's the brunt of most, you know, top fifties. You don't want to be, we're at the lowest of the pole, but then you meet and you connect and, and, and I think it's the future. I mean, why are we not leveraging in this country our most valuable infrastructure and resource? We have an incredible education system in this country. We have land grant universities that are all over the place in these tier three and tier four cities. And now that we have a gig economy where the work can now be uh, fragmented, like why aren't we setting these up in multiple industries to where we can bring back and reconstruct a middle class in these Rust Belt cities? I mean, when I grew up there, there was a large equity base and that the families that owned all the manufacturing firms and the, the foundries and the steel mills, they all reinvested in the communities. We had museums, we had incredible arts and cultural infrastructure, and then it just got sucked out. And there was no new equity. There was no new equity for 50 years. We haven't had equity value in these cities. And then the cities start to become dilapidated. There's no new investment. They become opioid zones uh, where the opioid epidemic, because there's a hopelessness that does not need to exist. Because if you can provide really good jobs, security for your family, a room over your head and food, you'll find that hope comes back very quickly. It's the, the thing that you can reconstitute the quickest in a, in a family is, hope, is being hopeful for something. If we can reconstitute a middle class in these cities, we have a huge opportunity for long-term success in this country. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lee, um, gosh, that was Lee. I listened to that and I, I, I knew it coming into this conversation, right? And I knew this question was gonna come out. Um, but if you talk to a typical entrepreneur, you know, they've got the concern, are, are the folks, are they employees or are they 1099s on the team? Or they're all employees. Full um, employees. Yep. Benefits, no, they're taken care of. So you've got your employees just like a regular startup does. You've got your customers. You've got your investors. You've got all the kind of natural concerns and issues that a, a typical founder does. Um, but kind of the other kind of extra um, burden you're carrying around is kind of these little communities, right? That they see you come in there and they see probably in a very quick fashion, because Joe, you're right. I grew up in a small town too. And I know smart people that grew up in big towns and I know smart people that grew up in small towns and I'll take my small town, smart people almost any day of the week, right? We're a lot more able, a lot more um, able to work through systems, but I mean, these folks have to see what you can do rather quickly, and they almost have to really quickly throw their hopes and dreams on you. Do you feel that on an everyday basis, Lee, or do you block it out, or how do you how do you handle that extra weight that's that's naturally there with this company? Uh, I haven't heard it really said that way. I mean, I guess it is there, but sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I mean, I do feel a tremendous sense of responsibility for the well-being of our team. And, um, you know, yeah, when, when you come in, you're thinking, okay, this is going to have to work because I'm making some big promises. Um, and I guess probably in the earlier days, it was more of a wait. And maybe I've just kind of forgotten about it because Huntington has been so successful. And Martin looks a little different. It's a smaller town. Um, but it, it has some amazing attributes to it as well. Um, and I guess 
you know, what kind of offsets it is how willing those communities are to help us help them, if that makes sense. I mean, so here's a good story. There's a, a gentleman who is a longtime benefactor for um, scholarships and helping students in Western Tennessee uh, get, get a better life. And um, he uh, heard about Core 10 and said, you guys can do what you're doing in Western Tennessee in Martin. You need to come check it out. And there was a, a meeting we had in a, in a large uh, skyscraper in Nashville where all the right people were around the table and that meeting was at the beginning of April and we talked about Core 10 they talked about Martin the Chancellor from the University was there he talked about the University and the computer science program so that was first of April by July the 9th I had free space in the Student Center and three developers hired <laughs> because they just came together for us I mean the University came to, came together and said here's a bunch of great candidates Here's some space you guys can operate in until you get your office stood up. You know, they were just willing to, to kind of come along for the ride with us. And of course, now we have, you know, permanent space in, in downtown Martin, but um, it's really a pulling together. And I felt that in, in Huntington as well. You know, when this idea for the boot camp came about, um, it was a pulling together of lots of different people and institutions to make this thing happen. And um, I, I always joke, and maybe it's naive, but those are my favorite kind of deals, is the deal where everybody wins. And I think that's what these Hearshore, Hearshore centers represent, is a, is a deal where everybody wins. And I always say, if my employees are happy and my customers are happy, that's all, I'm happy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need anything else. So speaking of everybody wins, um, so, I mean, Lee, you run a, a FinTech, um, uh, uh, I guess, development firm, right? I mean, y'all do development work for fintech companies. By nature, that's the concept of the business. Um, Joe, you invest in fintech companies. Um, so as as they grow and scale, I mean, it's got to be a natural handoff. Hey, there's another one of our portfolio companies. They're doing great work. They've got great talent. Was that seen out of the gate or did that just yeah, happen? So this, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've been in and around a lot of deals and large services companies do really well. They scale really nicely. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, they don't like to buy small services companies. If we got in there, build this up, build the model, have the recipe, kind of get this thing cranked up. We want a bigger partner because they'll invest because then the risk, the risk has been taken out and they have all the clients like a Deloitte or somebody, they have every financial service client. And if we can build the recipe and we have five, six of these going, humming, profitable, growing nicely, a big boy comes in and says, hey, way to go. You have built something that we really would like to scale. Because at that point, we can sit there and say, hey, here's the next 10 cities I would go to because they fit the model. Yeah. And this is where I would go. And, and, and you know, it's really... If you look at the the, the, the the opportunity to scale this business and to grow, now there's a limit. You could, you could get to it. There's a limit in these cities, and we have kind of A, B, and C. We're starting to figure out the recipe. That That's the beauty of startup is, like, we can take all the risks. We can refine and develop and build the model. That's what I tell my kids all the time. I said, everything you do, touch, taste, 
ride in. It was all started by some harebrained entrepreneur. Sometime, somewhere in some generation, somebody started a business. And this is just another one of those businesses. And, and you know, we're impassioned. You can see Lee's passion and, and, and my passion for it. It's a great opportunity to build a great business. But I think you're right. I mean, it's going to take a much larger partner to, re, to fully realize the opportunity to fully scale this business. But I mean, then, I mean, when, you know, you've proven the model and you take it from city to city, um, and I think your, your work of kind of in that Rust Belt area makes a ton of sense. You don't have to stay in the Rust Belt, right? I mean, there's, wow. to your point earlier, Joe, I mean, there's, there's tremendous land-grant universities across the country that would welcome you with open arms, I mean, especially if you're underneath the large, I mean, regardless of the situation, but if you're under the larger umbrella of a, of a of one of these well-known firms, I mean, it becomes a no-brainer for them to say, come on in and let's figure out how to partner. And, and then not only that, I mean, we're talking probably years down the road, but it's not just FinTech, it's, it's healthcare, it's this, yes. that. I mean, you've got a whole business model that you can go out and, um, and, and really drive people back to the, the communities that are getting bypassed as we speak. Yeah, what town are you from? I'm originally from Newburn, North Carolina. Yeah, down Newburn, North. Newburn. I mean, thank you, Newburn. I have friends that grew up in Newburn and Tarboro and yeah. Wilson and all those. I've been through all those towns. And I mean, they're, some of them are just like perfect opportunities for this because you, you understand it. You're from one of these towns. Yeah. So, um, so let's go back for a quick second. What have, um, and we're kind of in that 15 to 20 minutes left just to give you a kind of context. So, um, what have the last three months, uh, gosh knows, uh, four months been like now? Um, and we said earlier that it's been, you hate to say that something's been perfect for a business model or something bad has been perfect for a business model. Um, but in essence, it's, it kind of has. So, What's it been like on y'all's end over the course of the last four months, Lee? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, right at first, everybody was kind of shell-shocked, um, the entire country. And then once we got over our, um, our shock, we've had, um, we've had a lot of interest from clients, new clients and existing clients, on how we can help them um, either, like I mentioned before, they've had to have a reduction in force, but they still have projects that need to be done. Um, or they've had such an increase in business. So a good example is a FinTop portfolio company called Numerated, and they have a, um, a business uh, lending platform, and they needed to onboard banks at a pace just never before, I think, even fathomed by them. And they called our team and said, hey, we need, a, we need an implementation and support team stood up. Um, this was like on a Saturday. By Monday, uh, can, can you guys do that? And so we did, we, we uh, stood up, you know, 10 uh, developers to help them onboard their banks. So, you know, we've had, um, we, we've seen a lot of demand and, and just like you, I mean, I want to be sensitive because there's a lot of people who have lost their jobs. Um, but there have also been a number of businesses and business sectors that have thrived um, because they could serve a specific need. And, um, you know, Talent that, as, Jeff, as Joe said, can flex up and flex down quickly has been in demand, um, especially with industry expertise in financials. Because like he said, digital is it's, it's not an option anymore. It's a necessity and um, yeah. you kind of got to stand it up quick. Yeah. So Lee, do you mind if I ask how many folks you're currently employing? 
Yeah, we've got just about 50. Okay. So um, that's a pretty healthy number. Yeah. Yeah. Majority of West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have an office here in Nashville where kind of the corporate resources. It's one thing we found is we need to have the corporate selling and biz dev team yeah. in a primary market because we have to go get the clients. And, you know, most of these markets don't have an organic client base. We have to bring, well, and it's, it's, it's how they were built. Like I'm sure newborn, newborn, when you grew up, the biggest factory was not headquartered there. You know, it was just an offshoot and it was the same in West Virginia. You know, you had all these factories, but they were headquartered elsewhere. And it was just, the work was executed there and, but it created great wage and great long-term opportunity for the, for the locals. So where do you think you'll be at the, so here we are, we're almost halfway through the, uh, through 2020 It's, it's June 29th today. Um, the target for the end of 2021, where do you think you'll be? Um, do you mean in terms of employee wise? Um, I would say that, um, what we hope to do in 2021 is open a second center, uh, plan. Yeah. Sorry. Third center. Yeah. Sorry. 2021 open a third center. And so, you know, I would say that third center is going to give us at least, probably 10 or 15 headcount and then our natural organic growth. Um, you know, like I mentioned, demand is high. So we're hiring. Um, I mean, I would guess, and Joe, you check me, we'd put on 20 to 25. Yeah. I'd say we, we, we grow another 50% on top. The business is growing nicely. It's got really good buoyant cash flow. It's, 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 it's supporting its own growth now, which is really great. Um, Got substantial capital base right now um, for growth. We're investing. I, 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 we're getting lots of inquiry right now. A lot of it is people bringing jobs back and, you know, and I just ask those that are listening to this to just check it. You know, those that are in financial services that are from small towns, think about it, you know, as you sit yeah. there, and you're outsourcing work everywhere but your own city. You know, that was a conscious that I had to hit. I mean, this whole idea hit me while I was in a boardroom in, in, in New York. And, and we, we had like 200 people in Belarus and in the Ukraine. And we were talking about a civil war and how we make the employees safe in the Ukraine. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so um, you mentioned a good point. Um, the business is cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a nice place to be as a you know, service company grows. Does it lead itself to a place where you likely won't have to raise capital again until um, either a next large round comes along or just a potential exit at that point in time to whatever that large service company might end up being? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to raise capital. Yeah. A capital raise would just be a. Uh, it would be opportunistic. If the yeah. right partner came, if the right partner came, look, we're, we're very tightly held. Lee and the management team and myself, we make the decisions. It's, we don't have a huge capital structure. We don't have an overhang. We don't have a bunch of institutional investors. We, 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 we're very open-minded. We're very opportunistic. Uh, when it comes along with the right partner and they wanted to invest in the business and they had revenue to bring to us and to be as a, a partner, we're, we're totally open-minded. So yeah, we're, we're very op- open-minded and opportunistic to how to grow the business. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we're continuing to innovate the business. Um, you know, there's stages that you go through when you first start, you're hugely opportunistic. You just want, you want to do work that gets cash flow through the door. And then as you get more mature and you're more stable and secure, you can start to productize and focus more and say, these are the specific things we're very good at. And here's the repeatable processes that we do over and over again. And here's the kinds of integration projects that you know can be rinse and repeat. So we're in the really kind of fun stage of, of innovating and, and focusing our business even more um, for scalability and profitability. Is training and onboarding the new employees, is that, is that the most challenge, not the most challenging, but is that one of the more challenging aspects of the business? Um, you know, I think it was, and we've, we've gotten a lot of, you know, miles under our tires on that one. Um, so we have, like we mentioned before, we're having a lot of grads out of school, but we also have a team of senior developers who serve as mentors. In fact, they're, they're what we call our development leadership council. And so when a new employee comes in, they get a buddy and a mentor who you know, helps them to train. Um, and a lot of times that person's on their project. So they're training in very practical ways. But we also have a training platform that we use for our team, um, a certain number of training hours that everybody has uh, that they can use to learn new stacks or you know, technologies. So um, that's one that we've, you know, we've gotten down pat pretty good, I think. Maxwell lifts one back out towards left bit. Sorry. No, you're, you're, you're good. You might have heard my kids outside my door a few minutes ago as well. So it's the, yeah, it's new, the new world we live in, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, well, so then building the next city up is a, is a heck of a lot easier than building the first one up because, as you said, you're currently working on your processes you've got your training of your new employees down is literally just picking up the business model, moving to the new city. You're hiring the same type of people. Um, you're just bringing them up to speed as quickly as you can. Right. That's right. And actually that entry level role is sort of our bread and butter sweet spot that we've got down pat. And we've learned the difference between the kind of employee and the kind of background they have that wants to do development work and the kind of employee and background that wants to do implementation work okay. and, and they're different. And we've learned that the hard way. Um, yeah. But now, you know, we, we're right hiring, you know, we're hiring the right skill set. So our implementation teams that work on SAS uh, customer support teams, they're your finance major, accounting major, business major, very analytical problem solvers, great in front of customers. Our developers are computer science majors. They're also problem solvers, extremely intelligent, um, you know, spend their evenings at home learning new tech stacks, you know, um, gaming. It's a, it's a different personality. So we've learned, um, you know, how to do that well. Yeah, no. Um, so um, the business uh, revenue mix, um, does it skew towards startups at the moment? And I would assume if it does, the goal long term is probably to have a smaller startup division and then a larger, I mean, a large company division as well, right? Because just like you have two different needs and the types of employees that you were talking about just a second ago, startups are going to have a different requirement than a more mature business model. Right. It's, it's actually a healthy mix of the two. I mean, like I mentioned before, you know, we work with some of these, you know, big publicly traded companies. 
Um, and then in startups, we've learned, you know, the kinds of startups that are ready for a partner like ours are typically, you know, further along in their, in their um, capital raise and in their life cycle. Um, a lot of them, you know, when they're early bootstrapping, we just don't make a ton of sense. But when they're Series B, you know, that type of thing, um, we do make a lot of sense because they can allow their development team to focus on very strategic, cutting edge work. And they can bring our development team in to maintain and sustain things that they've built already. That's, you know, not, not as um, mission critical as some of the work that their internal team is doing. With the, with the business model, Lee, I mean, early on, it was unproven, right? Um, I mean, here you are, you're, you're going into these small um, uh, cities with great universities, teaching these kids to work. Um, and I hate to use the word bias in, in this in, in this current environment, but was there, I mean, a kid from West Virginia can't program the way a kid from, you know, out of India can, right? I mean, did you have to overcome that in a lot of sales situations that, hey, look, trust us, this is going to work? Or was, or was the trust already there? You know, it's interesting. I think I anticipated we would have to do that more than we actually had to. Um, early on, we built a big uh, commercially facing system for a large core provider. And the majority of the API development work was done out of Huntington. And when I tell people that story, it's like, okay, <laughs> they just don't really need to ask a whole lot more questions. Um, and I think that, you know, the, um, amount of access we all have to information and to training these days is leveling the playing field in, in, you know, in ways that we couldn't have imagined before. Um, the same kind of curriculum and the same kind of, of information resources are available to a college student in Huntington, West Virginia, as they are to a kid at Stanford. Um, now, I'm not going to say that there aren't huge differences, okay, between Marshall yeah. and Stanford, because there are. But um, we just we believe that intelligence is egalitarian um, and there's smart people everywhere. Opportunity may not always be egalitarian, but that's you know where we're leveling the playing field. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so kind of as we wrap up here, um, just a couple more minutes left. Um, your early investors, um, how how cool is it to go back because they're West Virginia folks, right? So they're starting to see the impact that you're having in their community. Um, and obviously Joe's um, very pleased as we sit here on this call with it, but those early angel investors, how fun is it to go back and show them the impact that you're having in the community? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just, and it's fun to show them how much we've grown and learned and developed the business. I mean, I think early on, Joe, you can comment on this, you know, they, they believed in us and, and, and gave us their trust and their, and their funds because somebody that they trusted said, this is going to be okay. Um, and we really had to prove that it was. And, um, you know, I, I think that they've been very happy to see our growth and to see, you know, we're about maxed out our space in Huntington and, you know, they come in for an investor meeting and the place is buzzing and lots of stuff going on. And, you know, we're talking about, our client partner mix and it's names that, you know, they've heard of and seen. So, yeah, I mean, Joe, what do you think? You, you sometimes have a more inside scoop than I do. On I mean, uh, look, 
the majority of the investors are people I grew up with, know them well. They've been fortunate. They've seen, they've been fortunate in the community. They're very, very wed to investing in the community. And I know that. And they've also seen folks like me leave and go create incredible success in a market that I didn't even know existed 25, 30 years ago, but I'm bringing it back and I'm saying, Hey guys, I want to help. And this is an opportunity. And then I can just kind of paint the vision and say, what if, what if, what if, what if, and by the way, I don't need your money. We have money. We want the opportunity for you guys to invest because that, that's, that's exciting for you to be a part of some uh, of this. And, and I think it's great. I mean, I get, I get calls and texts and they're very proud and they're very proud to be a part of this team. And, and they're very valued members of the team. They're shareholders. Like we don't do anything without communicating with them. Yeah. And, and they get to be a part of that ecosystem. And, and maybe they'll learn something being part of this ecosystem when the next startup comes along that they want to back, they're going to learn some things and put the capital together themselves and, and, and build something equally as exciting or, or much bigger. Yeah. And they know a lot of our developers personally. Just the community that's just the name yeah they come over and we have all these little you know one thing we do is we do open houses and we invite everybody and it's they all show up it's awesome i come down for them we have a good time with them yeah lee one last question for you and then i'll i'll, I'll let both of you go and i will run a little long on our time but um were you ready to be president of a fintech startup or <laughs> I could lie and say yes, but no. <laughs> I mean, I've learned a ton. I mean, a ton. But no, I she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. No one is. Very few people are. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a, an amazing ride. A lot of personal lessons, a lot of professional lessons. Um, I think we're at the best point that we have been at in four years. I wake up every morning. I'm excited to go do this. Um, we have an amazing, healthy and aligned team. And I'd be remiss if I didn't call out, you know, my, my partner in all of this and our CEO, Jeff Hansen, who is oftentimes, a, uh, you know, silent or not, he's not silent, but he sits in the back and lets the rest of us take the credit. But uh, so much of what we've been able to accomplish over the, about the past six months has been a direct result of his leadership. Um, and he's just a tremendous person. So um no, absolutely was not ready. Had no idea what I was getting into. But honestly, I think that that's important that you don't know. <laughs> because if you knew, you You'd might never do it. it. Yeah. You'd never yeah. do it. That's what I said about every company I've ever started. I'm an entrepreneur. If you knew what it was going to really take, you would never, you would never encourage anybody you know or like to go do it. Right. Ever. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like I always say, I, um, all the people I don't like, I, I, um, I'd like to go plant a little rapi in their front yard, right? <laughs> um, so get everybody you don't like to be an entrepreneur. So anyways, well, this, uh, this has been a fun conversation. Uh, obviously, the, the business model that you're building is a, um, is a really cool and obviously very successful business model. Um, and I have an investor kind of there to um, kind of validate and talk a little bit more about what Lee's doing and what Lee's, Lee and our team are doing is really cool. So Joe, Lee, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed the very candid, loose conversation here and um, wish you the best of luck. And next time you're in Charlotte and we can get together, um, let me know. And I'd love to love to buy either or both of you a drink. 
That'd be awesome. All right. Well, thanks for your time and thanks for your hard work and putting this together. And if anybody listening to this is from a small town with a university that wants to help and it's in financial services and uh, wants to wants to be a part of the part of the core ten way, give us a call. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll we'll, we'll clearly link um, website and all kinds of other applications for people to get a hold of you too. So. Um, very good points. So thanks, Joe. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, Lee. And Joe, thank you. Appreciate yep. you being on with me. level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.